Hi, and welcome to Politics in a Movie with your hosts, Doug and Mike. I'm Doug. And this is Mike. And this week's episode, the 1992 presidential election and Mission Impossible 3. All right, well, before we start, as always, I'd like to thank our tech guy, uh, extraordinaire, Frenchie. Hi, Frenchie. Comment ça va? <laughs> Bonjour, Frenchie. <laughs> All right, so um, I guess, Mike, why don't we jump right into your uh, your segment sure. with the 92 presidential election. Yes. yes, so the 1992 presidential election. This was the election between George Herbert Walker Bush and William Jefferson Clinton, Bill Clinton. And there was a third candidate, Ross Perot, uh, who also ran and, and got a considerable amount, perhaps one of the most if not the most that an independent candidate ever received in a uh, in an election, maybe Frenchie could check that. But anyway, um, this marked the end of the Reagan Bush period, twelve years from from 1980, where uh, Reagan and Bush won the presidency and vice presidency, and then in 1988, uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, we also call him Bush Senior, he won election on his own. So he was a one-term president. It also marks the end of sort of a GOP uh, Republican era. Since 1968, when Nixon won his term as as president, there was about 24 years, uh, except for the the brief uh, interlude of uh, Carter's Democratic presidency, where we had uh, the White House was a Republican run. So that's a pretty long time. Yeah. That, that is a long time. And uh, you mentioned Ross Perot. I vaguely uh, remember him. Was he short with big ears? <laughs> I think that's the guy. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. He was a, a billionaire, ran a big corporation. He was from Texas. He w- he had a good run and he was leading or he was doing well in the polls and he backed out of the uh, election in July. He took a break. Hmm. Um, and they think that hurt his, that he might have done even better had, had he not taken that break. But he got, uh, you know, not, almost 19% of the uh, of the vote. And, you know, that was pretty significant, I think, as, as history goes for a third candidate. Right. And who would you say that he may have pulled votes away from? Well, I think that people might say that he, that he was more of a uh, conservative. Right. Probably hurt Bush. Okay. But yeah, so this was the end of the Reagan-Bush era, end of a Republican-dominated era in the White House. You know, it was a pretty exciting election, considering the number of uh, candidates that ran in the primaries. The Democrats had a, a full book of, uh, of candidates. They had Jerry Brown, the governor of California, was running. Uh, Bob Kerry, senator from Nebraska, famous for at the time or earlier dating movie star Deborah Winger. Right. Uh, Tom Harkin, he had been governor of Iowa, so he did very well in the Iowa caucus, which is important because it's the first primary contest. And uh, Doug Wilder of Virginia, significant because uh, he a person of color. Right. Well, uh, I would vote for him just for his first name. There you go. He was a Doug. I don't know how many Dougs there have ever been run for president. There needs to be more, honestly. <laughs> So it was a pretty full group running in the Democratic primary. And Clinton, of course, who was governor of Arkansas and right. uh, it's very, it's very small state. I mean, I think there was like only a million people in Arkansas 
1992. Wow. Um, the the Clintons will say, in Arkansas, everybody knew everybody. Right. So it was just that small estate. And so he was considered a long shot. I think I mentioned it when we talked about the 88 election. In 92, there was a lot of buzz about Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the time, I myself, you know, the young man that I was and naive, perhaps, I thought, uh, I thought, who is this guy? He's from, you know, we learned, we found out a lot about Bill Clinton. But at the time, uh, I think I think a lot of folks were like, who is this guy? Arkansas. You know, how do you pronounce that? <laughs> right. Yes. So. So, yeah, there, there was a full group running in the on the Democratic side and on the Republican side. Of course, George Herbert Walker Bush. Bush senior was running for reelection and he had done one term. A lot of people felt this was his first chance to stand on his own. He was really the second guy on the ticket with with Reagan, very popular Reagan. You know, this was Bush's first opportunity to stand alone. And some people were angry at him because he was perceived to have uh, reneged on his no new taxes pledge. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He was so, famous for making that that uh, statement. Read my lips. Yeah. Read my lips. No new taxes. But, so Bush had the one a uh, one opponent, Pat Buchanan, that we talked about earlier. Oh, uh, right. That he's maybe stuck his toe in the water in 1988, and his name was mentioned. But in 1992, he was in it, and uh, he actually did very well in the New Hampshire primary. Hmm. He made a good showing, and it gave Bush a trial that he had to go through in the primary before he got to the general. Right, so, and I guess that at that point he was really the strict conservative on the ticket. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Results of the election were uh, Clinton. Came away with 43% of the vote, and uh, Bush had 37 and a half. Hmm. Perot got 18.9%. Yeah, and so that wow. was, that was still, it's still considered the best that a third candidate has done. Yeah, that is impressive. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think one of the things that sticks in my head uh, back at that, back in, th- in that time was how Bill Clinton uh, really used the media to his advantage. He did. Um, you know, I, I remember. He uh, he showed up on uh, the Arsenio Hall show. <laughs> you know, with sunglasses and yeah. he, he played, uh, you know, saxophone. What, the saxophone, right? He yeah. got a, got up on the stage with sunglasses and played saxophone. Yeah. I mean, that was really uh, unheard of, you know, until that and it, point. It was considered a new generation. I mean, he was he and Hillary. It's hard for people to think of that today, perhaps. They were considered, you know, the youngsters, and he chose Al Gore as his running mate. Right. Al, that was considered. Um, usually, candidates will choose someone from a different part of the country, someone who brings something different. And Al Gore and Bill Clinton were both Southern white guys right. around the same age, you know. But I think it it wasn't a bad choice. I mean, they were considered the young, you know, the young guns coming up and a new generation, and their wives Hillary and then Tipper Gore, you know. They'd go around together, the four of them, and campaign. Yeah, and I think, you know, when Al Gore being vice president, I seem to recall, I, I don't know if it's one of the rare circumstances, but, you know, he was a vice president who had some substance behind him. You know, he wasn't just hitting right. the road and, you know, just making generic yeah. speeches to support the president. I mean, he had, um, you know, a lot of thought behind what he would do. Yeah. He was he was a uh, part of the team and, and in on the 
decision making. And he was out there. And, and, and as a senator, you know, prior senator, he was a good guy to have on the Hill to help uh, to move legislation. And at the time, Clinton was very big on moving uh, health care. And, wow. you know, that was the beginning of, of getting universal health coverage to people. Right. Yeah. And then uh, I think, you know, in my memory, uh, one one of the big things that, you know, the whole Clinton administration was known for was how the economy really boomed uh, during those eight years. Yeah, that was a help. Helped him win a reelection. Yeah. So and that just I brought it up earlier, but the, the vice president, he, of course, chose Al Gore, a senator from Tennessee, well-known, well-regarded. And uh, and then Bush for the first time had to choose a vice president and he chose Dan Quayle, Senator from Indiana. Right. Um, I think Bush's idea was to choose a young guy. He had these, you know, Bill Clinton and Al Gore, a couple of young guys that he was running against and Quayle. I think George Bush thought that Quayle echoed sort of a John F. Kennedy. That's what he thought. And uh, mm. Lloyd Benson back in 88, when Bush first ran Lloyd Benson, who was Dukakis's VP said, you know, sir, you are no Jack Kennedy. I served with Jack Kennedy. I knew Jack Kennedy. Jack Kennedy was a friend of mine. Senator, you're no Jack Kennedy. This was, um, you know, 92. This was Bush and Quayle running for re-election because they were the incumbents. So, and then for Ross Perot, he th this was another storyline. He had to choose a vice president too. And and he chose uh, Admiral uh, Stockdale. Huh. He caused a moment when they he had his debate and he said, who am I? You know, it was sort of a rhetorical question, sort of introducing himself. Who am I? I'm, you know, Admiral Stockdale. But right. um, it ended up looking like he didn't know who he was. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I know nothing. nothing. Yeah, I don't even remember that that uh, fellow's name. Yeah. Admiral, oh, I guess that that's quite apropos him saying, who am I? Because I have <laughs> <Yeah>. no idea. <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah. I guess that was Ross Perot's thing. Listen, you know, yeah. uh, I'm not a politician. And so that's good. And um, but, you know, I'm going to need someone who does understand politics. So here's this general. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And so, you know, I, I think Clinton had a pretty good run. With his, uh, he had a few controversies at the time, which seemed yeah. to be really big deals back then. But I yeah. mean, today they're kind of laughable, right? <laughs> well, during the election, he had, you might remember the 60 Minutes interview that he did with Hillary. Hmm. Yeah, there had been some stories about, you know, extramarital dalliances. Right. And um, Bill and Hillary did an interview with 60 Minutes. And during the interview, uh, some lighting fell like on the set. Really? Like they were, yeah. There was like a moment where Bill was concerned about Hillary's, you know, safety. And he went and, you know, they were like, it was all captured. And I think it helped them. It helped any, any concern that people had about, you know, their marriage or whatever. Right. They, it was like live and it was not rehearsed. It didn't seem to be rehearsed. Oh, so okay. it actually benefited him, this moment, oh, the 60 good. minutes moment. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, uh, so I guess, you know, that that's a good test for potential candidates. You know, if, <laughs> if something happens, do they just, you know, run away and leave their wife to buy something or yeah. do they push the, push someone else in front of the danger? <laughs> no, it was, it was real. I remember it. It was a very real moment and there was yeah. genuine, I mean, they are a married couple and it was a scary moment for them. I mean, when you see it, it didn't look good. These four CBS, you know, right, yeah. equipment was falling on their guests, you know? Yeah. So, well, I, you know, I, I really think that that would be a good test to have in some of these like presidential <laughs> debates, you know, have right. something like come out of nowhere to startle them and see how they react. Yeah. Uh, boo. Yeah. Like which one in the box, pops which up. one hits the ground and hides <laughs> under the table and which one like looks around like, you know, where's the danger? I'll take it on. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a pretty good uh, summary of that election period. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, let's go on to our uh, our movie segment. And uh, the movie we're discussing is Mission Impossible 3. Yes. So, Mike, uh, you know, there's been seven Mission Impossible films. I mean, wow. I think there's, there's one being finished wrapped up right now. So let's just say there's eight. <laughs> And this is the this is the last one that had a number. You know, there was Mission Impossible two, and then Mission Impossible three, and then uh, after that, they all just had little names. I see. You know, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. But this is the last <laughs> one with a number. Some people might say, "Well, why didn't you pick Mission Impossible one?" Well, you know, I have to give some cred to that for being the first film for kicking off the franchise. And by the way, the franchise, the Mission Impossible franchise has earned over $4 billion. Wow. Which is impressive. And um, in today's money, that's uh, $4 billion. (laughs) Uh, You know, when the first film came out, a lot of people thought that it was insulting to the original television series Mm. uh, because it really shifted things around. It made the main guy from the original TV series, it made him the bad guy. Was Yeah. Uh, but it was very well received, the movie, you know, enough to spawn the sequel. And by the way, that Mission Impossible 2, mm-hmm. that has to be I don't, one of the worst sequels in film history. Yep. I mean, it is a horrible film. It is. It's so bad that, you know, I own all the other Mission Impossible films in Blu-ray, except that one uh, I, I refuse to add to my collection. It's <laughs> just flat out horrible. Although... I will tell you that in Mission Impossible 2, there's an opening sequence where he does some rock climbing. Oh. And it's filmed really, uh, really well. And Tom Cruise, as you know, does, you know, a lot of his own stunts. And he he actually is a rock climber and he did the rock climbing sequence. Yeah. But I will also say that if you if you enjoyed that rock climbing sequence, Mike, if you really want to see a great, great rock climbing in a film, uh, I recommend the Iger Sanction with uh, Clint Eastwood. Okay. From the 70s. Let me write that Um, down. Yeah. That has some tremendous rock climbing. And um, at least one person died uh, in that film because of the rock climbing sequences. All right. So why Mission Impossible 3? You know, and what does this have to do with Bill Clinton? Um, Well, I'll just say that, in my opinion, uh, MI3 was really the pivotal film in the whole franchise. Um, which turned it turned it back on track after the horrible second film and put the whole franchise into high gear. Mike, I sort of look at like, uh, you know, Bill Clinton doing that back in that, like that was a pivotal political time where Clinton 
came into power and shifted the, you know, the country into this whole high gear, I think. Okay. All right. Some other interesting things about this film, you know, it was directed by JJ Abrams. Okay. Um, Yeah. This is the only mission impossible film that he directed, but he's been known for directing uh, other films, uh, including the star Trek reboot. Yes. Um, some Star Wars, some of the recent Star Wars films, and then TV shows, uh, hit TV shows like Lost and Alias. Have That's you ever a seen good a- uh, resume. Yeah, it's really. Have you ever seen Alias? Yeah. Jennifer Garner? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah you, you got to love Jennifer Garner. And Bradley Cooper was in that. Oh, interesting. It was one of his first things. Tom Cruise actually hired J.J. Abrams. He had binge watched Alias. Oh, and loved it and said, I want that guy. Would you recommend binge watching Alias? You know, I think uh, I think I would. I mean, um, it's got a lot of good aspects to it. And and if J.J. Abrams uh, gives gives it a thumbs up, who am I to argue? Okay. Always looking for something to stream. Some other interesting things about the film. Uh, it stars uh, Simon Pegg. Okay. Well, you know, maybe I shouldn't use the phrase, it stars. Simon Pegg is in it. <laughs> You know, I love I love Simon Pegg. You know, he brings a great aspect to the film uh, franchise. And, you know, he he first comes in Mission Impossible 3. But then I think he's in every single film after that. Oh, yeah. And one of the things I love about his character throughout the films, right, is he is so excited about masks. Masks. I liked that that thing with the Philip Seymour Hoffman's character in the movie. Yeah. I thought that was like a fun little sequence, but go ahead. Yeah, no, you're right. And that was <laughs> one of the one of the, you know, frequent things in the TV show is how they would put on a disguise and infiltrate. Oh. Um which would include a mask and adjusting your voice to whoever you're trying to impersonate. Uh-huh. Um anyway, Simon Pegg in in all of these Mission Impossible films like he can't wait <laughs> to generate a mask. Oh. (laughs) Um, Anyway, and um, do you think that technology is real? I, I, I do. Yeah, I do think that they can make really lifelike masks. What they did with the Philip Seymour Hoffman character, I thought it was funny because you didn't know. Okay, is this Philip Seymour Hoffman or is it Tom Cruise dressed like Philip Seymour Hoffman? Exactly. They had to use that blood, that wine stain, to let you know. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's right. Yes, good point. Yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, I think that he just did a tremendous job. He plays a wonderful villain in the film. Yeah. The way he delivers his lines, he just oh. has a uh, like a calm, menacing demeanor. Oh, he's a bad guy. You really, you don't like him from like the minute from the opening. Yeah, you know, from the which oh. was that was pretty horrible. With the uh, should I give anything away here? But the. Well, Torture. I think I think <laughs> I think was, we can. Um, yeah, yeah, let's let's talk. Let's talk briefly about the opening. That that opening yeah. sequence. I mean, it just jumps right into it. It does. Um, it does. That three. It's like a three minute scene with Tom Cruise, and I have to tell yep. you, he gets me in that scene. Like you know, he Tom Cruise is a real actor. A lot of people yep. just think of him in the Mission Impossible, but you know, he's won Academy Awards or an uh, sure. award. He's been in film since he was like a teenager. I mean, he is a qualified actor. And that three minutes in the beginning of Mission Impossible 3, in my opinion, that's Oscar worthy. You know, if it wasn't in a Mission Impossible film, if he had done that scene in like Ordinary People (laughs) (laughs) or something like that, 
That's Oscar. It would have been, it would have been a little out of uh, context in ordinary yeah. people, I think. But yeah, but uh, I mean, <laughs> the 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 emotion he brings uh, to that scene is just no. It's good. You're right. And Philip Seymour Hoffman. I mean, he's he's great. So no, Hoffman, he's evil. He's evil. What are you talking about? I yeah. hate him. Oh, Hoffman. <laughs> Hoffman is Hoffman is evil. He's a wonderful villain. And you know what I love is how uh, in in the end of the film he gets you know dispatched by uh, Cruz, and all that's left is a shoe. <laughs> Just to note, though, that Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's a loss to the entertainment world that he's not around anymore. It's sad. oh yeah, oh yeah. He was great. He was a great comic actor. He did so many things good. So many things well. He really did. He really did. Yeah, yeah it's it's definitely a loss. And um, you know, th- this role is one of my uh, favorite memories of his performances. Mm-hmm. And speaking of performances, I'll also note that uh, Ving Ving uh, Rhymes. Yeah, yeah, Ving Rhymes. He uh, he's been in every. I think he's been in every Mission Impossible film. Oh, so. yeah. And, you know, it's a nice uh, homage that they pay to the original Mission Impossible series by having an African-American, you know, play that technician, that computer role, computer person role. Um, Because in the original TV series, uh, they kind of broke ground by having uh, an African-American play this, you know, this pivotal role where he was, you know, like a super tech genius. Um, and, And that actor... Uh, back in that TV series, I mean, he was like, he was really well respected. He was like the Sidney Poitier of TV. Wow. They call me Mr. Tibbs. When were those made? That's a good question. Frenchie, when were those? When were those early Mission Impossible uh, TV shows those made? Oh, Frenchie's chiming in. It ran from 1966 to 1973. Oh. And then Lawrence Fishburne, he plays a role in this film. Yeah. Great job. I think, as we've mentioned in the past, he's got a great voice due to his stage yes. work. It's really on display here. I mean, I love when he is towering over Tom Cruise and has him as a captive. And he says, uh, if there's one thing I that will make me lose sleep over, and I love my sleep. <laughs> you know, just the way he delivers these lines and he says, you know, I kid you not, I will bleed on the flag to keep the stripes red. <laughs> you know, I, I I keep waiting for some political candidate, Mike, at some point to make make statements like that. You know, vote for me and I'll bleed on the flag to keep it red. <laughs> mm. yeah, but Lawrence Fishburne does a great job. And then here's another interesting thing in the film. Tom Cruise has a brother-in-law played by uh, Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad. Right. And it's funny because you watch the movie and I don't even recognize that it's Aaron Paul. As soon as he started to speak, my brain registered. I know that voice, but I can't put it to the face. And then, uh, you know, I had to look it up and yeah, it's Aaron Paul. Yeah, Mr. White. So another thing that I like about uh, Tom Cruise in a lot of these films is he's just a master at nonverbal acting. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many scenes where just he's giving a look or a physical response um you know in the end the end scene where he walks in into this room full of old chinese men playing like mahjong Mm -hmm. and he's just just the looks he gives to them and they don't even say a word you know it's just a he just does great scenes um 
nonverbal scenes. And in, in a bunch of the Mission Impossible movies, uh, you can see him give a shrug or a look, a glance to certain people and just a motion with his head. And I, I don't know. I just really appreciate his overall yeah. acting. Another nice aspect in this film, Mike, uh, is the lip reading. Okay. You know, I, I like how they have, um, you know, Ethan Hunt, Tom Cruise's character. By the way, good thing they didn't name him Mark. Ethan Hunt, he can uh, read lips. And, in, and they show that in the start of the film, his ability to read lips. And then they use it really nicely uh, later in the film. Oh. Uh, I don't think he uses that skill in any other Mission Impossible film, but I think they should, uh, you know, they should squeeze that in if they can. <laughs> now, Mission Impossible 3, I wouldn't say it's the best film in the series. Nope. Uh, to be honest, in my opinion, I think the one that comes right after, uh, Ghost Protocol, I think that's the best okay. one. Okay. Um, but Mission Impossible 3, it's it's like a solid, uh, you know, third, third, third best in the series. But you know we can we can cover things that happen in some of these other ones and and I'll just note that Tom Cruise doing his own stunts, of course, everyone talks about that. Yeah. Um, and and it is absolutely impressive. And I love watching him and knowing that it's him doing a lot of these stunts. Yeah. So there's so many good scenes and and I love that they go on location, of course, and film these. So you know they're at the Vatican filming a bunch of things there. Um. And then, of course, when they depict inside the Vatican, I'm sure that's a set. But did right. you notice, did it make you wonder why the inside of the Vatican has so many uh, security guards and computer technicians with all <laughs> kinds of screens and computer servers? Yeah, they've got cameras and everything everywhere. Yeah. And then, you know, stunts. When people think of Tom Cruise doing stunts, you know, of course, it can be driving a motorcycle off a cliff, right? Yeah. But it's not all, uh, all stunts are not obvious stunts. For example, uh, he, does, uh, he does a sequence in Shanghai in the end where he is uh, running over rooftops and navigating his way through the city. And then Isn't that he, how everybody gets around Shanghai? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, rooftop is, uh, it's a crowded city. So rooftops can be a nice way. And then he gets into a breakaway sprint where he sprints for like three quarters of a mile um alongside uh, a river and it they do a great job of filming him in that run yeah. and you know you might not think of it as a stunt but that is uh is a very respectable effort doing a three-quarter <laughs> mile sprint and his running form is great that boy sure is a running fool and then there's a scene where uh in, in Shanghai again, where he does a fulcrum swing, where he runs off a roof and then uh, tied to a, a cord that swings him over to another roof. Now, they didn't really film that, you know, live in a Shanghai building, but they built a huge set. He actually is jumping off some really high structure and getting swung. Um, and then they, you know, CGI the whole thing on a green screen. So it looks like he's in Shanghai. The thing that I love about prior to that scene Tom Cruise is with his team and he's specking out on a window. He's like using a crayon on a window as to how they're going to get into the building. Right. Yeah. And he's drawing the buildings and he's calculating the distances. And then, uh, and he's drawing up like quadratic equations on the window with a crayon. 
So I'm just thinking, my God, this guy can read lips. He can sprint <laughs> for three quarters of a mile and he can write quadratic equations. <laughs> so that's impressive. And then one other, one other mini stunt, Mike, that, that you or any of the listeners can do at home <laughs> is um, in the, in the end where he's tied to a chair and they're, you know, grilling him, right? He's captive. Yep. And they say, you know, give us what we want. And he says, I need to hear my wife's voice to know she's safe first. And so the guy says, okay, yeah, no problem. He, he pulls out his cell phone, calls a number, holds the cell phone up to Tom Cruise's ear. Right. Yeah. And then Tom Cruise bites the guy's hand, which startles him, headbutts <laughs> him, and then steals his pen to unlock his cuffs. Wow. And now that scene, the hand that he bit was his own. So apparently it was difficult to kind of film it with someone else holding the phone up. So Tom Cruise actually used his own hand and held the phone up to his own face. And then when it <laughs> called for it, he bit his own hand. Ouch. Yes. So there you go. That's a stunt that anybody can do in the privacy <laughs> of their own home. When was this film, Doug? When did this? 2006. Interestingly, you know, the Mission Impossible franchise is spread out over a very long time. I mean, it's spread out over like 30 years, to be honest. Uh, the first one was in 96. Wow. And it took four years to make the second. And then it took six years to release the third. So they really do take their time. You know, mm -hmm. they're not just rushing these films out to make a dollar on the franchise. All right, Mike. Well, I think our uh, mission to create this episode has completed itself. Yes, we accepted that mission and uh, looks like we have completed it. <laughs> for all of us here at Politics in a Movie, thank you for listening. And you can check out our website at politicsinamovie.com. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Frenchie. This recording will self-destruct in five seconds.